Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. I am joined by Doug Battle. We are brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. As always, our focus is on all things fandom, and the sports that generate fandom. Good morning, March 1st, Doug Battle. Good morning. Yeah, it's weird that it is March. Um, Not a whole lot in the sports world this week. Normally, I'm kind of here reporting on... um, But it's coming. Yeah, (laughs) but but it's coming. We had the NBA All-Star announcements. And um, other than some NBA action and some speculation as far as quarterbacks like Russell Wilson and uh, Deshaun Watson in the NFL and, and some college basketball going on as well, the big news, Mike, is that Mike Lewis's NFL fandom report is now live on Fan Sided. As of 28 seconds ago, according to my browser uh, right here. Which well, is let's start and let's let's talk NFL fandom. Uh, to, to close out today, but okay. let's start with the NBA All Star Game. So we are approaching the are we approaching the midpoint of the season, or is it a little the calendar a little skewed? The calendar I'm a little confused by the schedule. Calendar's weird, um, but roughly, yes, we're approaching the midpoint of the season. Um, okay, yeah, and and so what is the what is the format for the All Star? Look, I, I've I love all-star events, uh, especially at a conceptual level. And, and you know, just a preview, I'm going to ask you a question of why do these things exist in a second. But what is the format in the, the schedule for this, this, this year's NBA all-star event? Pulling that up, Mike, because I'm kind of okay. curious how much is changing in, in the pandemic year or if it will be the same. They're still doing the... I think I saw that they're still doing the what team LeBron versus team. Uh, it, I looked at it, it almost has a structure to me that is team Le- LeBron versus team someone else at this point. Yeah, it used to be team LeBron versus team Giannis. I don't know if Giannis is still the guy. No, I think it's I think it's um, team uh, team team Durant. I believe. Yeah. Wow. Well, that from a marketing standpoint, I mean Durant's a lot closer to. LeBron as far as and looking at how the finals might play out we talked last year about how all year it felt like it was it was setting up for LeBron versus Giannis and Giannis kind of missed his shot and then now uh it looks like Durant's probably the favorite to take on LeBron in the finals does it feel like he failed his audition you know he he got a shot yeah (laughs) he was they were thinking about elevating him to the the second lead or the I don't want to say the the villain, right? Yeah, the like, antagonist for LeBron. The antagonist for LeBron. It didn't work out, and so we will now move on to sort of the the classic, uh, the classic option in Kevin Durant. You know, at least as, as they've moved to this new structure, this always feels to me like it is very much a marketing event in terms of trying to position people in this uh, kind of this this hierarchy of stars at the NBA and this idea of like, I think team team LeBron versus team someone really just kind of elevates it. I, frankly, I don't know if it's the 
greatest marketing idea, or if it's even a good marketing idea in terms of that separation within separations, right? Because it's like, to me, the NBA's got these layers, right? You're an all-star. Well, no, then you're all NBA, or then you're sort of at that ultra elite category where you're eligible. And I know you and I disagree on this part, where you're eligible to win championships for the most part. Right. One interesting thing about (laughs) this year's all-star game is that Kevin Durant is the captain of the East and Kevin Durant is not playing. He is, um, (laughs) he's elected to sit out for health reasons or whatnot. And so his spot on the team has been replaced by uh, the next man, you know, the first man out um, with all-star voting. And so that, that is an interesting aspect that team Durant will not actually have Kevin Durant playing. I I think you're, I think you're, being too kind that's very strange <laughs> you know i mean that they're the, the the reality the physical reality in terms of the injuries did not um match up with the marketing campaign and they decided to go with the marketing campaign anyways yeah okay so nba all-star is going to be supporting hbcus and communities impacted by covid19 i would imagine <laughs> i would imagine they would have more resources to support such communities um in universities in a typical setting it's going to be weird in atlanta having an event like this that typically would be great for the local economy but isn't necessarily bringing in anybody other than the actual players themselves who are playing on the court atlanta has had a okay so let's take a big step back historically as much as any of this is historical that's probably the wrong word what is uh the Atlanta sports scene is regarded as what? Is it is it an amazing sports no, scene? Atlanta no. sports fandom. No, it's okay. It's kind of meh. It's it, 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 kind of meh. Yeah. Right. And 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 look, there, there's been famous events. The one that I the one that I'll always remember after I got here was at the Georgia Dome when the Falcons were playing the Steelers, and much like UGA has done to teams like Notre Dame over the years. The Pittsburgh Steeler fans showed up in force, and suddenly it was a Pittsburgh Steeler home game. And that's the that's the kind of stuff that Atlanta has. You know, Atlanta sports, like a lot of towns, feels like it's it's cursed. Um, Atlanta fandom has taken a bump, taken a rap for a lot of years. Now, the thing that is interesting about why I'm going to on, on this path for the All Star game, and I believe the um, if it's not this year, it's next year. The Braves have the All Star game as well coming. up. Uh, sorry, the yeah, what well, the yeah, the All Star Game. That Atlanta sports year after year now had the NCAA football championship. Then they had the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Then they had the NCAA tournament, Final Four, the Final Four, and then they had the NBA All Star Game, and they lost two of those. That is brutal. I have not thought about that, Mike, but. Living in the Georgia area and knowing how much Atlanta sports fans like to bring up that they are a curse and that the Atlanta market as a whole is cursed, um, nothing could be <laughs> a better example <laughs> of that than losing the Final Four last year. I believe it was going to be in Atlanta last year. Yeah, it was. Um, and because I had friends that were like, "Should we, you know, should we go in and and try to get tickets to this?" Uh, so losing the final four, which is huge, and I'd imagine the bidding and, and all the rest for to acquire these kind of events um, is quite the uh, investment for this for Atlanta. And so the All Star Game is another big one where you're bringing in fans, and it's a fun sporting event that you really can't lose. The All Star Game, you can't lose the All Star Game unless there's nobody there, <laughs> and that's the one way you can lose is how Atlanta lost. Yeah, and maybe I should have said they lost two of these events. They lost one and a half of these events, right? I mean, the All Star Game is still going to happen, but right? Right. It, it's it's gonna it's gonna be different. It's gonna be on and, TV. I mean, they could they might as well be in Hawaii. And you you think about sort of this Atlanta sports renaissance. The community invested a ton into this endeavor, right? A brand new world class Mercedes Benz football stadium. A redo of uh, well, it was you know formerly Phillips Arena, and now is it All State now where the Hawks play, or State Farm? It's it's sorry, this is this is the tough thing about using the insurance companies. I think it's State Farm Center. Yeah, 
Um, the the Braves have built a new you know a, a new ballpark out in the suburbs. Truist, and, and so yeah, and so the yeah SunTrust Turner to SunTrust to Truist, yeah. right? Consistency and branding, not a theme locally lately. <laughs> that you know, as you've invested all of that into these you know beautiful new palaces for sport, you know, part of this, you know, you, you get these events to show off to bring the public so they can see what's doing. And it also is going to have that consequence of creating that excitement locally. Yeah. And you know what? I'm, I'm not sure that it works long-term for cities that have these big events, but I think that's definitely the theory. You get this local excitement, you get the fans all bought in, and that excitement sort of carries over to the arena and to the local teams and just sort of, that's how you build. That's one way that you can build a local sports culture. Oh, absolutely. And I, I would say maybe a year ago, whenever I learned that the all-star game was going to be in Atlanta, um, a friend of mine reached out and was like, Hey, do you think, you know, we should try to get tickets to go to one of these? Cause like, when else do we get to see LeBron and Kevin Durant and all these guys yeah. out there? Uh, but a guy like me that doesn't go to Hawks games typically and, and doesn't follow it much to get in that arena and see what they've done because they've renovated it in, in recent years um, as have, I mean, pretty much all the Atlanta facilities have been renovated or completely redone in the last several years. Um, so it gets someone like me in there and then you see Trey Young out there balling with LeBron and, and are impressed with him and, and you start to feel like, you know, you have an experience in that arena. I mean, there's so much that can lead to you feeling some kind of attachment to the city and, and, and to the team that plays there and to wanting to go back and be a part of what's going on. And all of that is lost. Um, the Atlanta sports community has had a brutal time with with their on-field performances, but this is a great example of the curse. And we've discussed the curse before, but the curse stretching beyond just winning and losing championships um and into even having these events well and i just double checked it and the mlb all-star game is scheduled for truest park this summer as well wow well you'd have so, to imagine that that could be uh, uh this similar kind of situation to this this is either in look you know outdoor park uh middle of summer you know heat maybe heat in 18 months of pandemic vaccine you know maybe this is maybe maybe this is the sort of the the home run let's say in terms nice. of the first big event that is fully fully out there um we will well we will have to see but wow it, it is it is a different form of atlanta sports curse that maybe folks have not appreciated yeah i we need to do a piece on that because i just haven't seen anyone talk about that but um but you asked me previously what is the schedule so this year got it in front of me they're doing it in one night i don't know how that's helpful as far as covid because typically it's several days of events like a whole weekend um so it's going to be one event packed in like basically from five to ten um eastern time they start with the skills events so I don't know if you've seen this, but they have this um, skills challenge, the Taco Bell skills challenge, but uh, where players are, they, they're passing through hoops and they're dribbling. They do this kind of full court thing and it's timed and whoever can do it fastest wins. And usually it's a guy like Chris Paul or it's a point guard type that wins, but they'll put a skilled big man out there as well. Um, Jokic may have won <coughs> it in recent years, which is impressive when a big guy wins that. But they're doing that. Then the three-point contest. Um, and then the slam dunk contest is going to be at halftime of the all-star game. So they're doing an all-star game with slam dunk at halftime. There is no, from what I'm seeing, there is no celebrity all-star game this year, which is terrible basketball, but honestly kind of funny sometimes when you got Kevin Hart out there playing against like Bow Wow or some, some future or somebody that, that can play. Uh, none of that, just NBA guys. Five to ten, one event, one arena, pretty minimalist this year. Makes sense, I guess. You know, you some sort of reaction to reaction to COVID that maybe if the, I mean, you know, perhaps part of the logic of having the the skills competitions, the three point shooting dunk as, as separate events, 
is there's less demand so you can you know put people in the arena to see that stuff yeah. give people a a taste of the all-stars when they can't when they can't afford the tickets for the for the big game and so in the absence of that kind of crowd excitement maybe you pull back but different i guess is my One thing, initial reaction when you when you say the, the lack of uh demand i do kind of wonder from just a pure television viewership how this will affect it from from year to year because typically for me like i'm an nba fan but i'm not going to watch five hours straight of of okay. non legitimate you just anticipate my anticipated yeah. my question are, are you going to tune in now suddenly this feels like the super bowl yeah. pre-game right where it's like the, the yeah, entire well, I would say day. typically i would yeah typically i would be like friday night I'm watching the skills challenge and because they'll they'll intermix that with the dunk contest. Um and then the next day I'll watch the three point and the actual all-star game. So it's split up and it's in little chunks that are digestible. But like, am I gonna watch from five to ten at night, you know, meaningless sporting events? <laughs> I don't know if I will. And I don't know that like that formula or that format is the most beneficial from a viewership standpoint, but there of course are other factors in play. I'm sure COVID and safety and all the rest has something to do with it. Again, I don't know how having it all at once versus splitting it up changes things really. Um, but nevertheless, that that is the the format this year. So my favorite All Star game, and and again, this is this is an answer I think only an academic would give. My favorite all-star game is the Pro Bowl. Really? Because I'm fascinated by the fact that it exists. It's and, and and to be honest with you, I don't even know if it does exist. Did they play the Pro Bowl this year? <laughs> that that was an excellent question. Well, and so I don't you think know, they I, did. This I always I contrast the Pro Bowl with the NBA All-Star game where you know, I've got genuine memories of the NBA All-Star festivities of Larry Bird winning the three, you know, back in the day before the three-point shooting and dunk contests were just for kind of the rookies and the guys trying to make their make their brands, which I think is kind of an interesting point in all this, where Jordan was in the dunk contest, Bird was winning the three-point competition, that the NBA figured out a formula to turn this into an avenue for really kind of growing individual athletes star power whereas i don't know that anyone has a memory of the pro bowl doing anything my only memory is that watching defenses not play football and watching offenses score way too many points (laughs) um they did a virtual pro bowl this year via madden (laughs) I'm, i'm serious they had they had the actual players competing on Madden. Somehow, I never even heard about this. <laughs> Wait, is there a version of Madden? Uh, okay, so I haven't played Madden since my younger brother and I were throwing Sega controllers at each other, uh, blaming the controller when the defense broke down. Is there a multiplayer version of this? So you can have a receiver running routes and a quarterback throwing to him? I believe there is. But I don't know. I don't know how this. Look, I don't know if they were doing that or if they had the players playing each on different teams and did a tournament. I have no idea. I didn't watch the no, event. Doug, didn't. we're going to have to add a second co-host that's in his uh, early teens to <laughs> close this knowledge. But game. hey, I am seeing this that um, interesting. We we talk a lot about how ratings have been hit this year and all the losers from uh, from COVID nineteen. But Madden actually had its single highest year in terms of. Uh, players playing well you know a lot of uh you know i've always made the argument that covid was accelerating a bunch of cultural trends um pushing people more to towards virtual spaces definitely uh something that's been going on for essentially decades and decades not surprising yeah so i'm seeing that they had eight players and celebrities playing against each other on madden for the pro bowl Um, did someone televise this i think so but they had uh, commentators, or no, excuse me, competitors. They had Snoop Dogg playing, Deshaun Watson, Derrick Henry, Keyshawn Johnson, Bubba Wallace, um, Marshawn Lynch, Kyler Murray, and Jamal Adams. But then they had the actual rosters for the Pro Bowl were the players that were voted as Pro Bowlers this year. 
Okay, so you know, conceptually, what is the what is the? I mean, look, I, I kind of gave you my opinion. The NBA All Star Game is to showcase the individual talent. The NBA has been the star driven league forever. The All Star Game ends up supporting that. What does the Pro Bowl do for anyone? Oh man, I don't. <laughs> uh, I think on that one. <laughs> Okay, and look, I don't think you're going to come up with an answer. To me, it's one of the mysteries of it's one of the mysteries of sports. I mean, I I tend to think maybe it's still out there as a placeholder, where all the other leagues have all star games, and so you know maybe the the idea is well, we got to keep this going because eventually we'll figure out what to do with it. Yeah, there, I mean, there's nothing on the line in the game. The players season's over. Season's over. There's it's the best a lot oftentimes it's the it's the week before the super bowl and so the best players on the best teams aren't even playing uh so like a guy like tom brady is rarely playing in the <laughs> in the pro bowl um that's a great question mike yeah the nba it feels so clear that they're they're really building these player brands nfl there's so many players on the field and also they rotate players a lot like if you're pulling for one running back He's going to be one of three running backs that's getting equal carries throughout the game, so he might maybe get ten carries in the game. Um, and and same with quarterbacks, they're splitting reps. So Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Deshaun Watson uh, are are going in and out by the quarter. Unlike the NBA, where guys are playing half the game, um, it's closer to what they would in a typical NBA game. The NFL, it's it's just so scattered and there's nothing on the line and there's not there's not that spectacular dunk contest type event for the NFL cuz i think for the nba that's always been the fun one for me as a fan and i think for a lot of fans is there's a competition that's separate from the actual game of basketball um but that incorporates an element of it and that allows players to showcase how spectacular they are in ways they maybe would not typically during the season. You don't see much of that Pro Bowl weekend. I think they've implemented some some events uh, and such for for different quarterbacks or receivers or whatnot, but nothing as spectacular yeah. as a what dunk contest. What else could you do besides have a quarterback throw balls through kind of hoops at yeah, different distances right. and perhaps moving? I mean, it's well, you know in the NBA. Baseball, you've got the home run derby, which I think gets gets them some attention. But uh, oh yeah, home run de- derby is is a lot like the dunk contest in the sense of it's it's a way to show how spectacular th- these athletes are um, without them just competing in the sport in kind of the same way you're used to seeing uh, f- football. I don't know if they have like a one hand catch competition, but that's like the <laughs> closest thing I could think of to like a dunk contest as far as just showcasing the spectacular and, and focusing on the entertainment aspect of the sport. Well, and so not to be too kind of pure marketing professor, it's like, I, I think, you know, you leagues have to think this stuff through and, and whether or not the leagues are thinking it through or whether things just kind of evolve to being things that work or things that tend not to work. I mean, like in the NFL, obviously you got the problem that it's a sport where injuries are very common. So an exhibition game, kind of doesn't work, right? It's hard for people to go all out with the risk of potential career-ending or <laughs> career-shortening injuries. Yeah, not uh, to mention in, permanent in long-term N- brain damage. Yeah, <laughs> where, versus in the NBA and Major League Baseball, the games tend to be a little bit or, or a lot less, less violent. Um, and so they end up playing, you know, like I said, in the NBA, it's sort of, been beautifully done over years and obviously it's kind of gone up and down you know mm-hmm. i think there are eras where everyone wants to be in the dunk contest and then the eras where everyone decides not to be right like lebron um, lebron has never done a dunk contest even though okay. kobe and jordan and, and a lot of the superstars of previous generations have well look when i think back to my kind of late late teens and 20s in the nba I think of guys like Jordan and uh, Dominique Wilkins being in in the dunk contest, right? We're- and and that stuff's incredibly powerful. And, and look, this is something I think the the leagues need to think about in, in some ways. I remember those guys winning dunk contests. I don't remember 
ever the East beating the West or the West <laughs> beating the East in terms of the actual game. You know, Larry Bird, you know, making those those threes, these end up oddly, right? These skill contests end up being maybe some of the most dramatic moments oh yeah it's it's all about the dunk contest to me those are the moments i remember as far as the game itself i will say there have been years i think last year it was like the at least in the fourth quarter really good like both teams were competing and and just the players that were on the court kind of had a mentality of like they weren't going to go out without a win on both sides and so it was actually truly a competitive event with the best players uh in the sport which is what i guess what they imagine you know or foresaw when they created these types of games but more often than not it feels like a backyard football game or, or a pickup basketball game where where they're kind of halfway doing it and and getting out of the way on defense when a guy's going into dunk but the the game itself um there was that year i remembered and there have been years where for example like kobe bryant and michael jordan were guarding each other um, and those two players who who went on to obviously become two of the greats, um, people people look back on that and fondly as far as like, wow, can you can believe there was a time we were watching Jordan and Kobe playing each other? Um, I remember watching Kobe and LeBron go head to head and won finals, uh, and, and Kobe got the better of them at the end of it, and he was kind of the the he was older and less athletic, but he just had his number. And, um, and so it's those matchups. It's all about the players. It's all about the individuals. The dunk contest has become less of a, no one in the GOAT conversation is doing a dunk contest in this day and age. I don't know why. I think it'd be fun if I were LeBron. Um, I'm sure that's a calculated decision on his part. But um, nevertheless, it's it's an opportunity for some young guys who maybe are overlooked in the league. Maybe they, they're just kind of contributors in, in small ways to make a name for themselves and become a guy where people are buying their jerseys. We've seen that with Zach Levine, who's now an all-star, um, but also Aaron Gordon over the years, uh, guys like Nate Robinson. Uh, there's been a handful of guys that maybe would not have become the brand names that they became if it were not for the slam dunk contest. I think you might be just being a little bit too kind on that one. And only in terms of, I think you're dead on that this is an opportunity for these guys to build their brands and build their kind of presence and their, right. their awareness. I have a feeling that a lot of times guys don't, and this like this is where you can get it, get, kind of get crazy. If LeBron James is in the dunk contest, let me ask you this. Does he kind of have to win or finish second oh, at yeah. least? I mean, it's a lot of pressure. He, he can't <laughs> yeah. lose that. He can't go lose to Aaron Gordon in the dunk contest. Um, yeah. Because all of a sudden... You're looking at well, Kobe's got one, and Jordan's got one, and 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 LeBron can't win one, and so maybe there's a fear of losing in it, which would, again, the LeBron haters would would jump on that and say, well, that's why he's not the goat. And and I just hope that it's a fear of losing the competitive fire rather than uh, almost a mark. And this is where marketing becomes a problem, right? Whether it's like, look, you can't go out there and lose. Yeah, that's just not your brand. You can't be in these skill compositions because you have to win them if you're going to be the if you're going to be the goat. Right, but it's interesting because we don't we we see that with uh, with the dunk contest, but the shooting contest like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, you see all stars in that competing mm -hmm. against Joe Harris and you know these these guys that are purely three point specialists in the NBA um, almost every year. Yeah, and maybe there's some story of ones about kind of physical dominance and. So maybe more egos involved than the three point. You know, I I, I don't know. It's uh, it, but I I agree with you. It's somehow that the the skills competition ends up being the highlight of a lot of this stuff because it it really puts the focus on the these individual players and and like I said, like I really you said, you know that this is kind of this pipeline to that that next level. It's it's like there's there's steps to climb. So you know, getting to be out there at the All Star game and participate in this or win one of those tournaments is kind of step one on the ladder towards, you know, getting in the actual game. Yeah. Hey, looking at the schedule, there's one thing I noticed this year that's missing. I mentioned that there, I don't see a um, celebrity all-star game. I also don't see a rising stars challenge. In the past, they've had game between essentially the freshman and sophomore classes 
of of the NBA, the top rookies and the top second year guys that many of whom are not yet all stars, or if not all of whom are not yet all stars, um, but giving them an opportunity to to compete and and showcase their talents and help build those brands as well. Um, none of that this year. Okay, let's switch over to the fan cited article. So moving away from building player brands in all-star games to just taking a look at the big picture in terms of team brands. So I I started doing these these fan rankings long time ago at this point, probably seven, eight years ago. And really just based on, I mean, kind of one of the nice things about being an academic is you can decide where to devote your time. So I remember sitting around the office and thinking about these kind of debates like we we discussed some of it, right, that Atlanta fans have been sort of viewed as bad fans, whatever that means. You know, some of the northeastern cities have always been viewed as having great fans. Philadelphia fans have been sort of notorious. And so saw an opportunity to actually put numbers to this stuff, to actually bring data to the equation and say, what are the best brands? What are the best NFL fan bases? And, you know, at this point, I think, uh, you know, so typically when, when I go through this, uh, when I go through this, this type of analysis and I'm talking to class, I would, I would ask the students who are the top brands in the league and who are sort of the bottom brands in the league. I don't know that I need to inflict that on you, Doug, because I feel like we talk about this stuff all, all the time. The top brands are, well, you know, I'll, I'll let you just shout them out. What are the top brands in the NFL? You know, last time we had the discussion, I just started listing off. You know, <laughs> yeah, you see, we talked about it like two weeks yeah, ago. I started listing off NFC East teams. Yeah. Uh, Dallas Cowboys. I got to think the Steelers are up yeah. there. Um, more recently, the Patriots, just the, the, because of their recent yeah. history. Um, Packers. Packers. Packers, yeah. Eagles, maybe. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Eagles and Eagles. 49. Eagles pop into the top ten. Yeah, some occasionally in the top five. So you know, that's about that's about right. Um, when we talk about the bottom teams, they tend to a lot of a lot of teams. Places like Jacksonville will always be on the list. Um, yeah, there have been and, and look, this is in in terms of the the rankings and the way they played out um, over the years. To, to be honest with you, Doug, it's like over the over the years there's been more of a reaction from the fan bases and the brands that are rated low than are rated high. Um, a lot of hate, yeah. a lot of funny hate. Uh, the team that will obviously be most upset this year or the fan base that'll be most upset this year are the Kansas city chiefs. Okay. So I don't think they ended up ranked at the very bottom. And, and, and look, you can find the, the, the article is on fan cited as of this morning also mirroring the actual rankings on the fandomanalytics.com site. But I am fully expecting as the day goes on and folks from Kansas City locate my email to be given all sorts of, what's the right word for this? Uh, career advice, mm. um, guidance on life, um, helpful, constructive Criticism. Constructive criticism. That that is the word you're looking for. I would also add, I'm looking at your ranking right now. Uh, the Bucks coming off a of Super Bowl, right there in the bottom as well. Right, right there with the Chiefs. I would imagine that that fan base is not thrilled with that, um, and, and might have some questions as to there. There tends to be less anger out of South Florida. So I mean, <laughs> I think there's a. There's a there, there seems to be a weather effect on some of this stuff. Yeah. And so when the Florida teams rank poorly, it's kind of a eh. yeah. But when when teams in places like Buffalo, Cleveland, Kansas City, they get they they get mad often with humor, sometimes without humor. But you know, to me, that's one of the more interesting things about this because it, it it sort of speaks to the kind of the character of the. The, the sort of a rich character of the local of those locals fan bases yeah so i got a question how far did the washington football team drop after their renaming because i tend to think of their fan base as top 10 and i'm seeing them here at number 21 
they've been dropping not so much dropping in response to that remake. Okay. But they've been dropping over time. Just because of performance it, on the field, because they've been bad for the last forever, feels like. Well, I mean, so you know, that that question goes at the heart of sort of a second level analysis that I tend not to report um on on the website or, or publicly in terms of what drives the creation of fan loyalty or brand equity. Um, yeah, winning Super Bowls, winning championships, sort of prolonged excellence is kind of the key to building that. So, you know, having, you know, a history of futility, a lot of losing seasons in a row, that does tend to diminish brand equity. Now, it's not, it doesn't always happen, right? I mean, when's the last time the Dallas Cowboys were actually a contender? Right. And they are still, you know, they're still, they're still up there. Um for for Washington, I think it's been a slow decline, and I would guess it has something to do with the on-field performance issues. But I do think that team has just taken hit after hit in the media for, I mean, for it seems like forever, right, in, in terms of, and I wish I had the history in front of me, but I, I want to say it was more than five years ago when some of the reporters stopped writing the word Redskins in the articles, mm-hmm. um, and, and it, it's kind of escalated from there. I would guess that they've taken a hit in terms of merchandise sales, um, you know, sort of leading up to this era. And I would guess that on some of these metrics, like things like social media following, that there probably hasn't been that much interest from the younger generations that have come online as sports fans, simply because it's been so. The, the previous name was in the club was so demonized that. People might not want to, you know, sort of jump in. So maybe they've had trouble replenishing the fan base. Mm. That, that is really interesting. Another thing that comes to mind with the Washington football team is the owner, Dan Snyder. I know he is loathed in Washington uh, by the family that I have up there that that are football team fans. And I have a family member who is the biggest diehard Red Steel Washington football fan <laughs> I have uh, I've ever known. And she and her family moved to Charlotte, and she with she's always posting about the football team games. It's weird to say, and um, always threatening to leave the the fan base with every move that Dan Snyder makes, and and every passing day when he remains owner of that football franchise. Well, I I can tell you from doing this, teaching these sports classes, and talking to students about this for for years that there has been a you know, like a lot of things in our in our culture, there's been a drift from where things used to be to where things are now. And, you know, you used to see, you know, the, the guy that I used to co-teach the course with was a, was a big Washington Redskins fan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, probably had some clothing t-shirts that had the Redskins emblem. You know, over time, I suspect that Manish has stopped wearing that. I mean, I've got I've got here just on the side. We don't have a visual element. But I've got a Fighting Illini shirt that has the Chief on it. Back when I was in college, the Chief was whether I, I, I'll show it at least to to you, Doug. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that was the main. That was the Chief Illiniwick logo was the main logo for the school, and the but the culture has changed and. You know, you could make the argument that, you know, I think some people want to say, well, the culture evolves over time or the culture has been steered over time and wearing those kind of things now suddenly feels wrong, doesn't it? Look, I mean, when we when we discuss the Washington football team every once in a while, if it's not intentional, we slip up and we say the old team name. And there's almost something mentally, I think, that that catches now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because in your mind. Now, you know, the, the old associations used to be Washington football team called the Redskins. They had Joe Theismann. They had uh, John Riggins. They had Doug Williams, et cetera, et cetera. Now, over time, with how much has been discussed in the controversy, you start to get these connections to this is a racial slur. Mm-hmm. This is harmful. This is incredibly negative. And if you say this, this may have consequences for your career and your ability to participate on things like like social media, right? So that brand name has become 
a negative, but I guess this was a long-winded way of saying that's a slow process. That doesn't happen overnight. That happens over the course of the decade, and I think that's what's happened to the Washington football team in terms of the rankings. And I'll, I'll, I'll add one other thing. I think you know Schneider was on record as saying he was never going to change the team name. I remember that. But you know his corporate partners, FedEx, and I forget who the other one was that was sort of very outspoken about mm-hmm. it, really kind of forced the issue last summer. Mm-hmm. And so it was his marketing partners that basically said, hey, we can't have our brand names mm-hmm. associated with this brand name that has become a that has become a problem. So if nothing else, the way the Washington football team has fallen in these rankings should probably be instructive for you know corporate marketers in terms of a warning sign of where problems might be popping up. Yeah, I, I would imagine it'd be quite difficult to rebound from that for for that franchise uh for someone like me that grew up my my father's from dc and he's a washington football team fan (laughs) um in in his entire family and we have some old shirts and hats and he's got the wheaties boxes from when they won super bowls and to feel like i can't wear those shirts around because i don't want someone to think i hate them or, or something like that like i'm not trying to send that message uh, I'm not trying to wear a middle finger on my shirt when I walk around on accident. Uh, and it kind of takes away all that history that that brand has, which is where all the value really is for the Washington football team because they haven't done anything in, in the last 20 years, uh, but they've got this championship history that fans have to kind of distance themselves from. You can't wear uh, 1970s or whenever it was Redskins Super Bowl champions t-shirt and I don't think they make Washington football team Super Bowl champions t-shirts or hats because there haven't been any under that name and and so it it removes the good history from a franchise and all that is all that is perceived is the negativity from the past and then the negative performance in the present it's a tough team to pull for in this day and age yeah now it's and, you know, in some ways, it's a problem that could have been avoided. Uh, it's, And I think this goes back to the frustration that the, the fan base has with the ownership. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, like, I, I think actually a lot of the frustration comes from is that the Washington football team may have the worst history in terms of free agent signings, mm. in terms of going out there, getting big money guys I to remember turn into complete <laughs> busts. Albert Hainsworth. Albert Hainsworth will be sort of the the top of any of the, you know, you do an internet search, worst free agent, he's going to be at the top of this. So, you know, if you're losing, you're making high profile mistakes and you have a brand that is offensive, that is, or growing in, let's say there's a continuum growing in terms of how it's viewed as being offensive. You know, you got to be able to see that, Mm -hmm. right? You got to be able to, see the how the world is evolving and you got to be able to respond and you know if if a change had been made you know a few years ago maybe that change could have been made in a more controlled fashion and sort of they they could have controlled the narrative you know it'd be interesting because i think the new name is coming out relatively soon um i'm gonna miss washington football team i am too uh you know there's and look, I've been doing this long enough too with an assignment in class and talking to students about it. You know, the the Washington Red Tail sort of uh, a tribute to the Tuskegee Airmen seems seems likely. Uh, some play on the the Hogs. Uh, some play with you know going back to Native American imagery that keeps the color scheme. You know, the, these seem to be the the most likely candidates. But I don't know that there's a home run anything at this point. So in a lot of ways, I'm kind of with you. I like the Washington football team because you know what? Right now they have the most distinctive nickname in the league. <laughs> they do. They do. They're yeah. they're um, memorable, if nothing else. And I think they could build on that and create a – I just feel like it's going to feel cheesy if they're the Washington Red Sharks or, or some, you know, some, something forced um, – well, I, that's the thing. I think everything's going to feel. Fixed. Yeah, because it's not. Right. So it's like because it, football team feels off for when you're used to saying the R word, 
but at the same time, it's A, it's kind of become normalized in this last year, and B, it doesn't feel gimmicky. You don't feel like pulling for a football team is gimmicky. It's just like, hey, it's plain Jane. We're just out here to play football. We don't do all the logos and the mascots and all that. We're just out here um, forgetting about all the nonsense and focusing on football, and I think there's something a little bit attractive about the the no-nonsense nature of the Washington football team. You know, it's very easy for me to be talked into loving the Washington fo- football team name even more, and you've just succeeded because, <laughs> you know, if there is, let's say, this question of pre- preserving brand equity, if you go from the Washington Redskins to the Washington football team to the Washington Red Tails, you know, I do think you're kind of, uh, you know, you're losing some of that connection to Theismann and right. Williams and the Super Bowl championships. Uh, I, I think the the other nice thing about keeping it, is, well, I think I can think of two things off the top of my head that are very nice about Washington football team. One, you're preserving a lot of the equity where it was the Washington Redskins and now it's just the Washington, right? So you've the Washington becomes the core to that, which really is is going to maintain that connection to the past. The other thing is, you know what? They are potentially in a position now to draw from whatever inspiration, and I'm not an expert on this, whatever inspiration has occurred in European soccer, where, you know, where half the teams are called United or FC. Right. Right. Cool logos, um, interesting, uh, you know, community building marketing approaches, you know, if, if the, if a big part of marketing and branding is differentiation, well, guess what? They've got it. They're differentiated yet. They still have this connection to the, to the past legacy. So Washington football team forever. Yeah. And while we're on that, they look exactly the same. The only thing different is the logo on the helmet being replaced by a number but it still looks like a uniform that the Washington R words would have worn maybe 30 or 40 years ago. Like it looks classic, even though it's new. And I think it's just that to me, it's the lack of a gimmicky feel. I think that's what can happen when you introduce a new mascot and a new, because mascots, the more you think about them, the more cheesy they are, but we just accept these ones that have been there forever as classic and not cheesy, but they feel right. But anytime you put a new one in you start thinking about, well, that's weird that I'm pulling for a type of animal, you know, or, or it's, it's just weird. Why do why do we call them that? Um, I I like the Washington football team as well. I'm hoping they keep that. I doubt they will. I do too. Let me make one quick comment and then I'll give you a shot for a last word on this week's episode. Uh, the other thing that comes into play in this uh, latest NFL rankings that I think is of some importance and you alluded to it that the two teams in the Super Bowl are ranked in the bottom five. Yeah. And if you look at the top five, a lot of those teams missed the playoffs or had early exits from the playoffs. Mm. The Packers were the only one that had a deep run. playoff run. Right. And so it does, and we had a conversation. One of the more interesting offseason stories in the NFL is the quarterbacks. Now we've got Russell Wilson also wanting to, to move that the NFL is in a little bit of a strange position where its marquee talent does not match up with its iconic teams. And so, you know, with maybe Trevor Lawrence being the next big thing, being likely to be drafted by Jacksonville, it seems like that balance is going to continually shift to where the marketing power is not. Mm. And so that, to me, is the interesting marketing story for the NFL. Is someone going to step up and really try and, you know, do something dramatic you know are the cowboys going to make a play for russell wilson mm. and so suddenly we could see something shifting right back in a hurry to a more healthy from a brand perspective not a competition perspective more healthy league moving forward yeah i still am of the opinion that at some point the format's going to have to change in the in the nfl much like the nba where these big stars have a little bit more power or more incentivized to go to the markets that are the biggest markets and, and the biggest potential earners for the league. I don't think I, that's no, I think you're dead on on that. Yeah. I, I think, I think we're seeing that start to happen live. Yeah. I, I you know, uh, Russell Wilson going to the Cowboys, um, 
Potentially. Jackson going to the, the, the Bears. Watson. What? <laughs> Watson going to the Bears. Right. I think this is suddenly total game changers in totally new league. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. So definitely something to keep an eye on. There's there's certainly the the aspect of the way the NFL works is a little bit like a free market in that it, it kind of corrects itself. Like teams like the Giants, who you the NFL would probably like to see in the Super Bowl, they're starting to get those draft picks every year where they're like they're more like the Lions or the Bengals, where they're stacking up on some of the more premier talents of the league, or at least they have the opportunity to. Um, same, I guess the Cowboys have been kind of stuck because they're they're good enough but not bad where they're not getting number one picks. Uh, the Patriots are starting to do worse and get better draft picks. Like you get better assets when you're worse off and it, it kind of over time, it's like you could see teams like the giants and the bears and, and, and some of these, the saints, some of these teams that have been good that are now all of a sudden, not the best in the league, um, catching a break and getting a number one pick at some point and getting a, a Trevor Lawrence type. Uh, but like you said, we're starting to see things change and players start to dictate their own future. And we'll keep an eye on what Russell Wilson's doing. I thought personally that Tom Brady's move last year could have, um, you know, a snowball effect on the league as far as quarterbacks continuing to not just go where they're paid the most or not just go where they are drafted, but go where they are drafted play out that contract and then reevaluate where they have the best chance to build their legacy and build upon their legacy the best. Okay. Let's wrap up this week with several, well, several things to look forward to. So on deck, uh, we've got Jay Busby taking part in our webinar series. So a discussion about sports in the era of COVID and the art of storytelling. I think this is really a, do not miss type of event. We'll put a link to that below the podcast. Registration, it's a it's a webinar, so register, but re- registration is free and please join us. Okay, so next week's uh, edition of the podcast is going to focus on the NCAA tournament. Now it is before Selection Sunday, but the key thing is we're going to dig a little bit into the nature of the tournament. So we're going to take the gambler's perspective on the NCAA tournament. And then we'll come back to the actual tournament the week following. And the last thing, and then I'll give you, I'll give you a quick uh, last word if you want it, Doug. Uh, the other thing is, you know, as always, check out the website at fandomanalytics.com. Got a link there to the, the fan-sided piece. So you can dig much more into these NFL fan base rankings. So Mr. Doug Battle, you get the last word this week. Last word. We're recording this on March the 1st. Ladies and gentlemen, we have made it nearly two years without, or it's been, I don't want to say two years. We made it a full season with no March Madness. It's right around the corner. Call in sick. Do what you have to do to watch these games. Take it in because we can never take a March Madness for granted again. And and I'm so excited for it. I have no team in particular that I'm particularly excited for. I just love the event as a whole. It's gonna be fantastic. Looking forward to next week's podcast. Looking forward to the week after making a bracket. And then from there, it's just it's just college basketball. So beautiful times ahead. Nature is healing, and sports are back. Okay, with that, I lied. I get the last word. Go Illini.